Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded on Thursday, June 15th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, tonight we have two guests on the show that are going to help us better understand some of the retail and real estate dynamics that that we've been talking about uh, here in 2017. Uh First, we have Steve Barr. Steve is an over 20-year veteran of Price Waterhouse Coopers, which I'll call PwC from here on out, uh, where he is focused on the consumer markets. Steve is a frequent Forbes contributor on topics around retail, brands, and CPG. He's also on the board of trustees for NRF. We also have Byron Carlock, and he is the national partner and real estate practice leader with PwC and works closely with Steve to understand physical and retail trends and how they impact commercial real estate industry. He's been at PwC since 2012. Welcome, Steve and Byron. Great Thank you, gentlemen. You. Yeah. Long, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> we are excited to have you guys on the show, and uh, we always like to get things started by giving the listeners a little bit of uh, perspective about your backgrounds and how you came into your roles. So um, maybe, Steve, we could start with you. Um, you want to tell us how you got here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great to be with you. So I lead the consumer markets practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which includes our retail practice, our consumer packaged goods practice, and our travel and tourism practice. That practice includes our advisory consulting business and our traditional audit and tax practice. I've spent my entire career focused primarily in the retail and consumer space. And like I said, I'm glad to be with you tonight. Terrific. And Byron? Sure. And I'm, I'm Byron Carlock. I lead the national real estate practice. I came to the firm from industry five years ago and uh, spent the first half of my career with the Trammell Crow family, a prominent real estate family based in Texas with many companies um, in the various real estate categories of office, retail, multifamily, uh, hospitality, industrial. And then I ran three REITs uh, for a, a sponsor before coming to the firm. I uh, also lead the practice across our lines of services of assurance, tax, and advisory. My job's almost as fun as Steve's, uh, but I'm more the dirt guy. And so I'm watching our industry go through an interesting metamorphosis, especially in the retail category. Awesome. Well, as the the dirt guy, Byron, let me kind of kick it off to you. Um, and you know, so 2017 is you've been in the industry for a while, and I've got to imagine this is kind of one of the most brutal years you've seen as as it relates to store retail. Um, you know, we've seen over 5,000 stores announced that are closing this year. We've had folks on the podcast that say we're going to get to 10,000, uh, and you know, it, and that implies mall closures in the 20 to 30 percent range over the next two years. Uh, why don't you kind of help us frame it, given your long exposure to the market and, and the physical retail side? How, what are you seeing out there? Is it the worst year you've ever seen? And and any other pontifications we'd love to hear? Sure. Well, I'm going to put it in more of an evolutionary disruption time frame because I think it's very interesting to sit back and realize that 90% of retail sales still happen in brick and mortar environments. And so, although E-commerce is the fastest growing phenomena in retail. Um, it's still only 10% of the total spend. And so what happens in brick and mortar is very important and certainly worth watching. And you're right, the store closures are going to be big. We think it's 7,700, somewhere around in there. So you're right, between five and 10,000. And the square footage vacated you know, in the tens of millions of square feet. But uh, what's interesting for the real estate from the real estate perspective is on that which is vacated, it's an, oper- it's an opportunity for landlords to um, rehab and reposition. And so there's an interesting article, as you know, this week in the Wall Street Journal talking about um, you know, the mall that might not have any retailers in it and some of the different uses that that real estate is finding as landlords reposition the real estate. 
So I'm coming at it from a bit more bullish perspective, from the brick and mortar perspective, in that I think we'll see new uses, even though those vacancies will um, eradicate certain retail concepts we, we refer to sometimes as the mediocre in the middle. Got it. Steve, what's your take on kind of where we are um, from a 30,000-foot kind of view? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things Byron and I um, chat about frequently is the question of whether we're overstored or under-demolished. And what, what <laughs> I, yeah. and what I mean by that is um, there are some great properties and some great locations that really just don't have the right retail um, for, for today's consumer. So as we're seeing transformation, you know, there, there's no question, and you, you guys wouldn't have me back on the show if we didn't acknowledge that there's um, some significant headwinds for certain retailers. But we have a number of our clients, and I'll lean with Byron towards some level of optimism because a number of our clients are investing in some very unique properties, focusing on experience and perhaps partnering in ways that might be uh, non-traditional from a historical standpoint, but really connect with with today's consumer. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I am uh, definitely on your guy's side of the fence as a, a, a pro brick-and-mortar guy. Scott is really the the uh, digital doom and gloom guy on the call. But I think even he concedes that the brick and mortar is going to continue to be a really important part of the mix. Um, I will say, however, that I do start getting nervous because you, you mentioned that average 10, uh, 10% of sales are online in a lot of segments that are important, like particularly in the malls uh, that that percentage is more like 15 or 20% and 15 or 20% feels like an inflection point when it can really disrupt a category. Absolutely. Yeah. Do we, you think we're going to see some, some actual category disruption or do you think it's just going to be the, the weakest players in each of those categories that, that we see go away? Well, as Steve began alluding to, it's all about the experience. So if that category can create an experience and a reason for someone to be on the showroom in the store and experiencing the product and learning about it, then that disruption can be stalled. If not, why, why take the time out of your busy schedule to go? And so the consumer needs a reason to be welcomed into the store and feel as though it's a worthwhile experience. Yeah, and I, I guess I would add um, towards sort of two thoughts. The first would be, you know, in addition to the numbers you shared, we're actually seeing many of, of our clients have their dot-com or their, their direct businesses grow 20 to 30 percent, and, and in fact, as you, you both know well, some have even grown, you know, in the, in the 40, 50 percent range, and something that uh, we uh, called the last two holidays, and, um, you know, those, those have come true. So we're seeing, you know, there's no question we're seeing a massive shift. I, the, the other point I would make, and uh, having listened to your show for quite some time, you know, I, I know when I, I open up the topic of omni-channel, um, it, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that talk about omni-channel, and I don't think many retailers are, are, are doing it well. But I do feel as if the retailers are on a continuous journey of improvement, and some of the retailers are starting um, to do it well. But I, I continue to be very disappointed with with many of the store-based retailers, often um, my family gets tired of, of shopping with me because often what I do is I walk into the store, um, uh, you know, I'm doing, doing uh, my work thing, and I walk as if I'm just any consumer and trying to feel is it, what, what's that experience for me if I've done things like buy online, pick up in store. And I continue to be amazed at how many stores make it very inconvenient for the consumer to, to really have that uh, buy online, pick up in store experience, difficult to find a parking spot. Uh, if I have an impulse purchase or a, or a different need, there isn't a separate checkout lane. Sometimes it's very hard to find the, the, the pickup spot within the store. And so we really do need to see the retailers transform at the store level 
and uh, counterbalance the convenience that comes with uh, online shopping. But like I said, I, I think some are starting to do it well, and others, if if they don't do it, um, I, I you know I think they're going to add to that list of of debt banners, bankruptcies, and store closures. Yeah, it it is shocking how much uh, bad omni-channel there still is out there. I I now have the luxury of living a few blocks from an Amazon bookstore, and so I'm a horrible person. But my um, sort of pastime when I have too much free time on my hands is just to try to go return Amazon purchases at the bookstore. Yeah. And what's your experience? They they don't accept returns from Amazon at the Amazon bookstore. So that's me just being mean. But are there any retailers you think of that you would point to as sort of shining beacons of really taking advantage of the brick and mortar footprint and doing omni-channel well? Yeah, I can think of several. I don't know if we're allowed to mention particular client names uh, or, or, excuse me, particular company names. But yes, there are some that are doing extremely well that make sure you feel like you are welcomed into the store almost as a treasured guest because they know you're time starved. They know you want special service. And they make you feel like your visit was worthwhile. No, I mean, I, I don't know. If, I mean, for example, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple because I think sometimes we can think we can speak in terms of examples. But, you know, what Gucci is doing at the upper end this year is a game changer. And when you go in the store and you see something you like, you better get it because if you don't get it, it may not be there tomorrow. Limited production runs with the special embroidery wild statements that become interesting accessories to any outfit. It's really a fun experience at the designer level. Even all the way down to home goods in a perch where you go in and get to see demonstrations in the cooking kitchen or in the luxury bathroom, and you think, wow, I want to live like that. And so when you see those experiences that make the product come alive, it makes your store visitation worthwhile. Now, if it's a roll of toilet paper or a uh, or bath soap or laundry detergent, the commodity stuff is going to be sold on price and convenience. And, and Byron, what, what I would add to that is, you know, so often when we talk about Omnichannel, I think there's a focus of it being the, the online transaction store, but also we see some retailers doing an extraordinary job of if I'm in store and they don't have um, the style or size that I'm looking for, several of the leading retailers are able to access their inventory real time, often with a handheld device somewhere, you know, exactly where I'm shopping. And in many cases, you know, make a commitment to me you know, to get that, um, uh, you know, o- to the shopper o- overnight, or if you're in a, a, a large urban area, in many cases, um, same day. And um, uh, Bonobos is uh, an example that is extraordinary. I often go into markets and do tours, and in a, a recent market visit, just um, explain that I was shopping uh, or just doing a tour and but was staying at a hotel and didn't want to carry bags and they made a commitment to me that by the time I would was back uh, at my hotel room in Times Square that they would have uh, a package waiting for me so I think it's important to think of omnichannel you know going going both ways but some some are doing it well but that also means then that some aren't doing it well and What's especially challenging as same-store sales decline and there's significant deferred maintenance from information systems and uh, investment in store associates and others, it almost becomes self-fulfilling for those retailers that just don't have um, the resources to get it done. And that's why I think this is going to be a balance of the winners are going to continue to win and as Byron has said, you know, being stuck in the middle, or I would say, you know, being a struggling retailer, really something transformational is going to happen, or we are going to continue to see a decline. But I, um, I do believe those clear winners, uh, you know, there, there's no question that they're very bullish on specific real estate in specific markets um, at very strategic, specific locations. Yeah, I, I uh, would definitely agree, Steve. I think as you alluded to, a lot of the 
the most successful omni-channel experiences with shoppers um, really require excellent uh, in-store inventory accuracy. And so it, uh, we, we see a lot of retailers investing right now in new processes and technologies and systems to get that, that inventory much more accurate so they can use it in a lot more customer experiences. Um, another trend that I think is interesting in Omnichannel, I'm curious if either of you have any thoughts. Uh, we've now seen a couple retailers kind of announce that they're redesigning stores around these Omnichannel flows. So uh, Target has a new store model. I don't think they've opened one yet, um, but that literally has sort of a, a, a separate entrance for the fast visit you know, um, pick up goods type stuff. Uh, and that entrance is literally, you know, more convenient and separate from the, the, the full browse customer. And, uh, I know, uh, uh, Starbucks already has a, a prototype store in their corporate headquarters. That's a pure order ahead, pickup in, in branch, uh, experience where you literally can't order in, in the store. Do you see those kinds of trends catching some, some wind? Yeah, it's. Um, I do. I've seen. Go ahead, Steve. No, you go, my friend. I've seen the Target model, and I do know they're working at, you know, working harder at making it easier to uh, return. Yeah, and and it's actually a great example. And the the reference I made a little a little more subtly earlier was was actually um, you know to the Target model. But what I would say is. Um, you know, we're seeing several of the mass merchants, uh, you know, Walmart and Target, really begin to execute um, very well in the store. I, I, I think those companies would, would say there's always an opportunity for continuous improvement. But I think they're realizing um, the, the strategic imperative to improve that experience. And, and I'm quite optimistic that um, the leading retailers are, are going to be able to pull that off. In fact, I think, you know, I think we're going to start to see even greater separation. But I would expect uh, those retailers and a few others to to separate themselves and 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 do it quite well. What will what will be interesting will be you know at what pace can they do that? Because this isn't just about you know onesies and twosies. They're they're going to have you know any of these retailers, no specific brand. They're going to have to transform these stores very rapidly, and I happened to listen to your most recent podcast, and I think the you know the conversation around the period of time that some have forecasted that it it, it might take to transform you know the, the Sears locations uh, as as they close. You know, it's quite an extended time horizon. I don't think there's enough time to do it at that pace, and. Um, you know, these these retailers are going to have to make decisions that we're going to have to accelerate this and transform the in-store experience immediately to continue to stay relevant, uh, especially with Amazon. And look, while I'm intrigued by um, how Amazon is, is disrupting our world, uh, you know, I'm continuing to be curious at what point will Amazon be disruptive and and you know, folks may may think you know I'm a bit crazy because we we've seen them as the the disruptor. But will the time come when Alibaba you know enters the U.S. market, or will the time come when some transformational player? We've seen it in retail, and sometimes it's a very long life cycle. But um, I I really can't stress enough the need for retailers to accelerate that pace of change and even for the disruptors to continue to disrupt themselves. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for bringing up the, uh, the a word. It wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without kind of talking a little bit about Amazon. Um, let, let's take the angle. Steve, we'll start with you and then Byron definitely want you to chime in. Um, so, so it sounds like your recommendation to retailers is to innovate and, and stay in front and, you know, Amazon could be disrupted. Uh, the, what about brands? I know you guys talked to a lot of brands. What, what do you say to brands uh, when they're, you know, when they're saying, Hey, what, what should we do about Amazon? And, you know, we, we see people that have, you know, a spectrum of they're evil, uh, don't partner with them at all, all the way to, you know, very deep partnerships. What curious how you advise folks on that. Yeah, it's Steve. I'll, I'll go first in Byron if, if you uh, want to jump in. You know, the, the age-old question here is that, that question of channel conflict, right? And not only 
um, for for their own branded stores, but in many cases for their uh, retail partners from a wholesale perspective. And you know, I'm not sure there's any one right answer depend, depending on the category. Uh, I I get much of my Amazon information from you two gentlemen, but but we we know well that as they've entered um, certain private label categories, they've quickly gathered, Amazon has quickly gained a significant market share in a number of categories. And I think the the most recent uh, Mary Meeker, you know, Internet Trends presentation, which was fascinating, was uh, one, of, one of the latest examples where they talked about Amazon's share of batteries. And I, I think the other category she mentioned was perhaps in the, in, the, in the baby category. So brands, I don't think there's any one right answer, but I think I, I, I can tell you this. Our, our clients are struggling with um, what to do and how to do it, but they're all coming up with individual solutions. Some are, are viewing it just like a regular wholesale partner, and others are looking to come up with unique SKU offerings and product, not only for Amazon, but for their other wholesale partners and then for their own uh, branded stores. And I think we're going to continue to see folks have that dilemma. And as, as we know, there are a number of luxury players or some unique players, whether it be LVMH or Birkenstock or others that have made choices of you know, not partnering with Amazon or um, disengaging from perhaps a, a prior partnership with Amazon. So an interesting trend to watch, but I don't think there's a single answer that uh, you know, applies to any category. Byron, I welcome your thoughts. No, I think the big dis... The big disruptor to watch there is Walmart. I think their acquisition of Jet.com and their rationalization of that business into their retail model is the game changer. As a Southerner, you know, going to Walmart is a spiritual experience. And to make that experience convenient for those that want to do it over the Internet only broadens their ability to compete head-to-head with Amazon. And so I think that's worth watching. And when they make uh, returns, exchanges, and pickups and um, everything like that convenient in the store. Think about all the distribution outlets that they've already got on the ground in your neighborhood that make that experience all the easier. And so I think that's the one to watch is the disruptor for the big A. And um, uh, one thing I've been meaning to ask you from a commercial real estate perspective here in our region, um, the warehouse kind of segment has really heated up as, as e-commerce has grown. Is Is that a national thing? Is there kind of a, a supply demand imbalance for that warehouse type space that's, that's so important for that that Amazon-like experience? Yes. I mean, for three years running in our Emerging Trends publication, industrial has been the leading product category, and it's obviously driven by the demand because of, because of the importance of fulfillment in the new economy. And so industrial is, is a darling. I don't see it changing. And the use of that industrial space is already changing to adapt to um, the environment related to returns. And so you see some industrial parks adding retail elements so that returns of e-commerce merchandise are actually sold out the back of the um, warehouse. And so it's interesting to see whether or not industrial buildings become, you know, mini outlet malls in the future as a adjunct service to the customer that um, is using the goods that are moving through those warehouses. Yeah, we have a... Oh, in addition, though, in addition to the industrial space, I think one of the things we see, and we see this especially around holiday, is you know not only is that industrial space transforming, but the ability to access sort of planes, trains, and trucks during the holiday season has become very challenging for for you know many of the retailers and and, and online providers. So it's it's not only a competition for the industrial space, but a competition for um, you know all, all of the components of that supply chain, uh, including the last mile. That's right, and that, that's very important to note. I mean, so you've got your large, you know, million square foot distribution centers that can be remotely located, but you cannot deny the need for smaller spaces close in for last mile delivery. And so the competition for four walls that are compatible for that last mile delivery is heating up, but it's also using space that might otherwise be underused. And so you're seeing vacant office buildings turn into last mile fulfillment centers for pickups and deliveries. 
You're seeing self-storage units uh, be available for, you know, nighttime deliveries uh, of the goods from the remote distribution facility and then distrib distributed out by the last mile deliverer first thing in the morning. And so the, the use of four walls can be fungible. And I think that's one of the things we're learning about this disruption is space can be used for multiple things. And it doesn't always fall into the traditional categories that we thought it did. Cool. And then, Steve, one last Amazon kind of nuance. So you've, you've talked about how they're going to impact retail and brands. Um, how about the CPG or, or grocery category? You know, they've they've got the go store where you just kind of walk out with things. They've got the pickup store. They've had fresh for a while. That's in several cities. They've got prime now pantry. You know, there's there's almost like eight platforms they're experimenting around. So that seems like they're pretty serious. Do you, do you think they're going to kind of start to make some inroads there or do, or do you feel like groceries too tough for Amazon? I think they're going to make um, significant inroads, and it, it, it's interesting. I'll give you something that I'm watching that may not be obvious to to everybody, but uh, you know, in 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 my day, uh, I'm I'm 52 years old. Um, all of the large CPG companies in my life, professional lifetime, opened um, offices and had a mandate to be located in Bentonville. And there's no question that continues to be true given the tremendous strength and capabilities of Walmart, which I continue to believe is, is, is going to do, um, continue to perform well. But what we're seeing is the same consumer packaged goods companies now um, placing folks in Seattle. And so um, Seattle, as I in a silly way, Seattle's a new Bentonville from a CPG standpoint, or the additional Bentonville, because it's not, it's not an or, it's an and. So that's my signal to say the CPG companies know it's imperative that they align with, with Amazon. And the other thing that we're seeing is our consumer packaged goods companies, you know, taking a hard look at containers and SKUs, sizes, weights so that they're optimized for the Amazon delivery model and for really for, for everybody's delivery model. But there's no question Amazon is, is going there. I saw a presentation uh, very recently, not, not vouching for the numbers, but the forecast there was that by um, 2023, that Amazon would be the equivalent of 2,000 grocery stores in, in, in the U.S., which if you compare that to, you know, that's a comparable size to something like, um, I believe a great example would be like a Kroger. So there's no question that they're going to be a significant player. Um, it's also interesting, though, um, a little bit off of Amazon, but, uh, the, you know, as we, uh, many of your listeners may know, and you, you know well, Lidl is, is, has said they're coming into the U.S., and they're going to open 100 stores in the near term, primarily in the East Coast and in a very targeted area. But um, there's going to be continued transformation in the grocery retail space far beyond just the, the Amazon effects. But I think there'll be a lethal effect and, and some others. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the grocery space and fresh in particular is going to be super interesting to watch because that feels like a – a space that no one has really wrapped up yet. Like, you know, Amazon has has had the pilots with Fresh for a long time, but, you know, isn't in that many markets yet. Uh, we've just seen Walmart put a lot of weight behind uh, Digital Fresh, uh, Kroger. But but to your point, like Aldi, I think, has said there's, they're going to spend $4 billion um, incrementally in, in the U.S. To, to grow their grocery business. And I think those Lidl stores, I think the first grand openings are today. On, uh, in the East Coast. So that seems like a uh, an area where we could see a lot of new store openings. And I, I guess what I'm curious, I've heard uh, some people say that grocery is already more, like the, the density per capita of grocery is even more overstored than retail in general in the U.S. So does that mean a ton of traditional grocery is going to close to make way for these guys? Do you think that they're going to evolve? Do you think we're the market's going to be able to tolerate all the, uh, these uh, German grocers coming in and, and serving customers in new ways? Yeah, I think my, my answer would be I think it's going to get to 
the in-store experience. That in-store experience can be different depending on who the consumer is. It could be on the value end, uh, or it will be on the premium experience and thinking of uh, the Wegmans of the world or the HEBs of the world and the publics where you know when you're in the store, it, 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 it can often be, you know, an extraordinarily pleasing experience. So, um, look, it, it, there's, there's no question there are razor-thin margins in grocery retail, and it takes um, almost perfection, which, which several of the leading players um, do do quite well. But that tells you, though, there's, there's, there has to be some disruption to come there. You know, with with the growth of online, whether it be Amazon or Jet.com, um, or now with the, the the German grocers and and you know some of the existing players, you know, are not done growing. Whether you know whether it be you know the Trader Joe's of the world or some of the regional and, and national brands, you know, Kroger and others continue um, to transform their stores and do exceptionally well. Yep, I I think for listeners, it's going to be interesting. You know, traditionally, the way we do retail is like the super premium in-store experiences were for super premium products. Um, you know, so uh, Byron mentioned the Gucci example earlier, right? And the super, you know, value products tended to come with pretty uh, value-oriented experiences. Uh, Lidl is going to be an interesting blend because you know, they're uh, super low price points, which means the store experience is no frills. You bag your own groceries. You have to pay a deposit for the shopping cart because they want to make sure you return the car- shopping cart so they don't have to pay a guy to go get it. Um, but then they're going to have very high-quality organic produce in there. And so it, it that's an interesting interesting trade-off to say, hey, get the high-quality products in the no-frills environment. So I'll, I'm going to be watching but, that. But think about Yeah, but think about what you just said in that, which I think marries with what Steve was saying earlier. Their systems mirror their delivery. And so their price point is complemented by what they do versus what the consumer does in order to get that price. And I'm going to guess that their systems have become extremely sophisticated on SKU management to know what's going to sell when. And so they very cleverly marry uh, systems and process and experience to the consumer's expectation because the consumer pretty much knows what that bargain is when they walk in the store. No, and I think you're exactly right, Byron. Byron. They're um, probably the most quantitative retailer out there in terms of measuring the efficiency of everything um, to, and, and building the systems and processes uh, to be highly optimized for the experience and value proposition they think customers want. So, I mean, the only question is going to be whether American consumers want what, what, what they're offering because they're very good at delivering what they offer. Sure. And so then contrast that with the grocery store as a, you know, spiritual or community experience where you go do everything from your wine shopping to your fresh foods to that evening's gourmet takeaway to flowers to a massage. You know, I, I think I think what what we're seeing is um, experience offerings that fit the taste and budget of the buyer in different locations. That makes perfect sense. Steve, I know it's early, uh, but your your holiday forecast is uh, widely read. And um, can you give our listeners a little taste of what you're thinking about for holiday this year? Here, here we are in June, so I'm asking you about holiday. <laughs> well, here we are in June, and I I will tell you we actually are about to launch um, our our first global holiday survey. So you're you're not asking too early. Here, here's here's what I, I can tell you about holiday in advance. I it was interesting two years ago. For our press release when we launched our holiday survey, which usually comes out in early October, two years ago, we we had a message that said, um, you know, an overall um, same store sale increase, and and just just simply was a measure that did not matter, and it fell flat, and I was very surprised that it fell flat. So last year, we sort of walked away from that, but I'm going to go back to it this year because. It simply doesn't matter. I'm I am insanely bored with the holiday forecasts that come out, and and um, you, you know it comes out from a wide range of constituencies that say overall holiday sales are going to be up three or four percent because that's that's what they say every year. When you go down a layer, 
and um, you know take what happened last holiday where overall you know online was up 20 some percent but like I said earlier we saw some key players grow in the 40 and 50 percent so I think the there there we should come up with new measures that matter and one of them will be you know the continued growth of, of online which I continue to believe will grow somewhere overall near 20 percent but even that is is a measure that um, blinds us to the fact that a few uh, folks will continue to grow at a 40 to 50 percent clip with with their online offerings the other thing is I think we're, we continue to be in a mode where consumers are going to spend a portion of their holiday budget especially Millennials on themselves and on experience friends and family um, going to a show or a concert or the like. So when we think about holiday, I don't think uh, it's right anymore just to look at retail sales, but we really need to look at experience. And then I think uh, we're going to pull into our holiday outlook the growth of both um, travel, airplane travel, and automobiles. And so holiday now is far um, a, a far bigger picture than just retail sales. But no question, we'll see significant online growth. I'm a little bit concerned here in June, and we'll see we'll see how right I am, that retailers are seeing their uh, less than desirable results for a year to date, and that they're going to be very tight in their ordering for holiday. And over the years, my clients, you know, you never know what the weather's going to be like, and um, you never know what geopolitical or other events may occur. But if we end up having a strong holiday, but they were extremely conservative on their ordering, they actually may miss on opportunities. Now, the flip side of that is when we've seen bad weather and other things, when there's too much, then they go promotional and they go promotional early, and it really wipes wipes out their holiday. So um, retailers have a, have a dilemma because as they look in their crystal ball, um, you know, are, are, is the glass half full or half empty? And uh, we'll see, but I, I do feel good about uh, digital and online continuing to lead the way. And I, I will say that some of that's contextual. I just returned this week from the Real Estate Roundtable in D.C., which is the gathering of 250 of the nation's uh, real estate CEOs. And I, we had one presentation by a, a former Fed governor, and he said the bridge between where we are and holiday as it relates to that spending level is going to be confidence. And so when we digest what it's going to take to inspire additional confidence, we have to really analyze everything in the geopolitical jobs and, and mood of the buyer to determine how bullish they will be come November, December. Yeah. I, you know, I think this is going to be another one of these interesting ones to watch. I think traditionally that's always been true and, and uh, the consumer spending has, has indexed very closely to consumer confidence but it, it seems like we're seeing a lot more standard deviation in that that correlation uh, the last couple of years. And I, I'll be honest, one of the things I'm really nervous about for this holiday season, Steve, I think you're exactly right uh, that r- nervous retailers are going to go in with tight inventory. But I, I think one of the other impacts is if, if 7,700 stores truly close before holiday this year, uh, that means our friends at Gordon Brothers are going to liquidate 7,700 stores worth of inventory um, and you know, that, that's going to have an impact on, on prices and consumer demand as we, as we hit holiday. Yeah, no question. Yeah, but remember- and, and in fact, what we'll, what we'll also see is, uh, you know, not only the Gordon brothers on the liquidation, but for some of the banners and brands that are, are, are continuing, but perhaps having to go to the off price channel to sort of the TJX and Ross stores, um, you know, we may see some some really really tremendous deals from a consumer perspective in in the value channel. And I'm sorry, Byron, you were going to say something as well. No, no, no. Everyone loves a bargain. I, it just reminds me of of Stanley Tanger's quote years ago: "In good times, people still want a bargain; in bad times, they need a bargain." And so, it, you know, those liquidations may draw people out to spend in a way that inspires additional confidence. So it, that, that is going to be one worth watching because I think there will be a lot of closings and liquidations that um, put some bargains in the market that get people out to experience those. 
Yep. And I, I think there was one corollary on that, that quote, though. Everyone loves a bargain except for the manufacturers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I, I did want to change topics. Uh, another topic we have on the show a lot uh, is mobile. And in particular, you know, if if uh, e- e-commerce is a you know small sliver of total retail sales, but it's the fastest growing then, you know, mobile is a small sliver of digital sales, but, you know, the fastest growing. Um, And, you know, we've been talking a lot about brick and mortar stores. One of the things that's really interesting to me about mobile and brick and mortar is we've got all these consumers. They maybe are only spending 10% of their stuff online, but 50% of their purchases are being influenced by digital. So they're getting used to having all this digital information when they make purchases. Um, And the the obvious way to give them that digital information when they make purchases in brick and mortar stores is on mobile phones. So I guess I'm curious if uh, you guys are seeing anything interesting happening in mobile and, you know, if, if there are any uh, experiences that you've, that you've seen or that you're optimistic about in terms of mobile use in stores. Yeah, it's it, Steve. And there's, there's no question. The, the, the phrase we often use is, is mobile matters. And it, interesting to think through the story I told earlier in the podcast around how the stores need to transform to keep up with with digital. The same thing is true um, uh, with respect to mobile. And what I mean by that is um, it's only a year or two ago, and it's um, unfortunately true for a few retailers today, where if I'm in store and I, I want to use my mobile device, I I, I really get um, a, a small version of, of their website, and it's not a mobile design website. But the leading retailers have now taken it to one-click capabilities. And, uh, and so those folks that are transforming the mobile experience, I, I had my own personal experience where I, w- I won't name the retailer, but I was at an outdoor retailer, and they, a particular um, shoe was on sale. I, I wanted to have that shoe um, they didn't have it in stock. The sale ended that day. They didn't have the in-store capabilities to take care of me, so I wanted to buy on my mobile, and I was typing on this you know, small keyboard, and it was incredibly painful. I was able to complete the transaction, but there was nothing user-friendly about it. That same retailer has now transformed their mobile site, and with one click and using um, you know, one of, of uh, you know, an Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Type option, uh, truly, I think in two or three very quick clicks, I'm able now to complete the same transaction. If all retailers can get to that stage, we're going to see explosive growth in mobile, especially as millennials and Gen Zers continue to take up a, a larger portion of, of the demographic of, of the active shoppers. <laughs> Byron, any thoughts on mobile? Uh, no, I just think alongside that comes the ability to fulfill the order as promised and then make the returns easy if it doesn't work. And I think a lot of folks are still working on their systems, not only in the handheld convenience that Steve was just referring to, but on fulfillment and returns as well. Cool. On, on the fulfillment side, um, there's some data out there that indicates UPS and FedEx are not able to keep up with, with the demand. Is, is that something either of you have thought about? And uh, kind of a corollary to that is, is I've kind of been a longtime believer that, that Amazon's eventually going to directly compete with those guys. Would love your, your thoughts on that too. Well, it isn't, I think it's overwhelming. I had to do a return last week and it was a rather large item and I had to be at the house and I asked for the time band, which is usually two hours and it was eight hours. And I inquired with the customer service, um, representative, why is the band eight hours? And she started laughing, going, Mr. We've got a lot of stuff to pick up today. <laughs> and we just don't know when we're going to be in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, you know, it was honest, but it was also, I think, indicative of what you were saying. Yeah. And I, I don't have any specific views, um, not a specific area of expertise for me, but I, uh, you know, I do believe um, extraordinary companies find ways to transform themselves, and and I um, certainly believe, you know, uh, all of the companies in the category, especially the leading players, um, they're 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 going to come well prepared for um, in the context of holiday. But overall, uh, they're actively transforming their businesses, and 
And Absolutely. No question. No question. There'll be competitive threats, including whether Amazon, you know, comes right into their category. But um, I, I do know enough of those companies that um, I, I, I think we're in for 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 quite a battle. Yeah. Um, quick pivot back to mobile, Steve. The last year, you know, we saw for. For so two years ago, we saw for kind of millennial kind of oriented folks, traffic got over fifty percent. Last year, we saw transactions get there um, for the millennial kind of audience, and other folks are kind of they've they've passed half traffic and getting towards fifty percent transactions. Sounds like you follow Alibaba. I think they're at like north of eighty percent transactional volume coming from mobile. Do you think this is another holiday where we kind of step function up in that, or is the U.S. going to look different? I, I I do think we I do think we step up and um, I'll I'll put a shameless plug in for our holiday survey. How about we think about getting back to you in October when 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 we have a release? But it's uh, an area of specific focus for our upcoming holiday survey, which which I said is being launched. And uh, while I I do expect that trend will be exactly as as you said. Um, we'll, we'll look forward to sharing our holiday outlook uh, late September, early October. We will certainly take you up on that. Similarly, we'll be releasing emerging trends in real estate for 2018, and it will have a significant dedication to what's happening in retail. That so maybe we should maybe we should do a rematch of this um, in October. That that would be terrific. Um, let's do this until we get to October. Uh, we're, as we're we're coming up to the end of the show, um, if uh, you you had uh, you know thirty seconds uh, in the elevator with the CEO of your favorite retailer, like what what's the number one piece of uh, go to advice uh, you have for retailers this year? Mine would be make the visit special. Yeah, and 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 mine would be uh, focus on the consumer, which uh, clearly. Uh, many of them are doing, but in the end, if you're taking care of the consumer, I think the rest of it uh, will find a way to take care of itself. Yep. And then flipping that around, uh, what, what about uh, to the the CEOs of the brands? Yeah, and I'll I'll take this one first, Byron. I would say innovate and personalize. And I think if if they're able, to, and if you think of the leading brands, whether it be um, on the electronic side and the footwear and apparel side, uh, there's no question the leading brands that are constantly innovating and focusing on personalization are the clear winners. I have to agree 100% with that comment. Cool. So, so let's take it out further. So we were kind of looking six months forward. Let's kind of, you know, you guys have been in the industry for a while. So uh, let's project out to three to five years. What does retail look like? You know, do we have, are we all sitting in our dark basements with VR goggles on like, like Jason's doing, or are we, you know, what, what is that experience like? Are drones like dropping things and we have to catch them? Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Byron, let's, let's start with you. I think there's some of that. So I was I was at a luncheon in Dallas a couple of weeks ago where um, Ross Perot Jr. shared with us that he has agreed with Uber to be a pilot for their new Uber Elevate drone system, which will be um, people people delivery and package delivery, uh, and and they'll be uh, parking their drones in in um, in Dallas. And so it feels a little bit like the Jetsons, but I think it's upon us, just like driverless cars are upon us. And they'll they'll change the way we live, the way we uh, do our errands, the way we receive our goods. I don't think it'll be overnight, but I think it's gradual and we'll be here before we know it. And the groundwork is already being laid for that. Yeah, and what and what I might add, I I would share. I, I just did a, a a market tour to New York and visited uh, the World Trade Center and uh, made a trip up to Columbus Circle. So that included. The Apple Store at at the World Trade Center, the Amazon Store at Columbus Circle, and I live in San Francisco. And in the Embarcadero Center, where our office is, um, they've opened a new Sephora store. And there was one thing in common from all three of those examples: the stores were completely full. And the reason the stores were completely full 
is because they have extraordinary offerings, they have exceptional associates, they have innovative products. So I believe in three to five years, the retailers that continue to do those things are going to continue to have those full stores that we saw, and we're going to continue to see them being you know, extremely relevant. Well, guys, that is a perfect uh, place to, to leave off. I couldn't agree more, and it has happened again. We've wasted a perfectly good hour of our listeners' time. Uh, don't forget, listeners, you're always welcome to continue the dialogue on our Facebook page. And if you like today's show, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Steve, Byron, uh, very grateful for you taking the time to share your insights with us and the listeners. Thank you very much for having us. It was a pleasure to join you, and I'll look forward to listening to your next podcast. Awesome. And just uh, briefly, uh, how can people find out more about your your thoughts? So, uh, you know, we've talked about the holiday um, preview that you guys do, so we'd love to if you could direct folks there. Um, and any other writing that you guys do that you think would be interesting, if, if you have a place people can find that, where do they look for you online? www.pwc.com. Yeah, you can do that, and then I occasionally contribute to Forbes. Uh, probably not as often as I should, uh, but I do, and I find uh, and I uh, do try to release retail trends on on Twitter. And you can find me uh, on my name, and then, like Byron said, at pwc.com, and we have landing pages both for our real estate practice and also for our consumer markets practice, which includes the retail practice. And we'd love to hear from you directly, or um, if folks want to follow us in, in any one of those medium, we'd be thrilled to, to follow along with you. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes. We sure will. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.